his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm Heather Vale. Today I'm speaking with Heather Williams, Director of Development for the Las Vegas Rescue Mission. The mission will be distributing thousands of gifts during its 13th annual Holiday Toy Giveaway event coming up. Heather, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So what exactly does the Las Vegas Rescue Mission do? Las Vegas Rescue Mission for the last, well, over 50 years has been serving the homeless community in the downtown area of Las Vegas. We run an emergency shelter for both men, women and children. And also we run a six to 12 month recovery program as well. Every evening we serve a community meal out of our dining hall between um, the hours of 5 and 6 p.m. And um, we are the only shelter in town that will take intact families and also single dads. Wow. How big is the homeless problem in Las Vegas? It's definitely a large population of people who are homeless, just even outside our gates. We'll have a lot of people in encampments just in our area. We have seen a difference in the number of people coming to us after covid Um, even though we're still in it, obviously. But the number of people we serve for our meal has declined a little bit, but we're still seeing people obviously coming into our shelter and still coming for the meal, but the number is a little different. Okay. Now, you mentioned single dads. Is that a demographic that most homeless shelters don't allow shelter for? Yes, we're the we're the only shelter, and we started to offer that program probably in I think around 2017. So we've been offering it for quite a while. We have an area in one of our buildings that's designated just for single dads, so they're private rooms, and we've had a lot of single dads coming to us. One of the first times I remember that we had the need was a a single dad came to us at the front gate. He had a toddler in their pajamas and holding a newborn baby and he had nowhere else to go. So we realized at that point he can't be the only dad out there. And ever Mm -hmm. since we created that program, we have seen a a, a population, quite a large number of single dads coming to us. Wow. Okay. So tell us about the 13th annual holiday toy giveaway that you've got coming up. Yeah, we're very excited about our toy giveaway. It's um, always a fun time of year to be able to help the community 
get some toys under the tree or at least um, in, in the home for some children that might not be able to get toys otherwise. We have expanded our giveaway last year and this year. We used to run the giveaway actually on our property, but we kind of outgrew that with COVID and realizing the need that people will probably drive and we needed somewhere for them to park safely. So this year, we've been able to secure Cashman Field again to be able to hold the event there, which has plenty of parking space. And we're excited to be able to welcome anyone down there that's in need. The great thing about our giveaway is that there's no sign-up needed. The only prerequisite is that the child is present at the event. Okay. And is this like the child gets to choose their own toys and look through what there is or are they wrapped and blindly given? So the way that the process will work is that every it's a first come first served. So everyone will line up and then they'll be issued a ticket for the age and gender of the child. They'll go along a line to the, um, there's going to be signs to say where to go for that age and gender. And then we'll have volunteers that will be handing them a toy. There won't be uh, the option to pick what they want. It will be just what we're pulling from the box of all the toys that we have for that age and gender. And then they'll, um, they'll move along. And then we have, they can write letters to Santa. There's going to be other giveaways. And um, also we're doing uh, cookies as well this year. Wow, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, yeah. We're having a, a DJ and between a DJ and then also the Las Vegas Mass Choir, they're going to be taking it in turns to sing and to play some holiday music for us too. So how many kids are you expecting to come out this year? Um, we're expecting probably around the same number that we had last year. So we handed out 2,000 tickets to children. So we had about 2,000 children. Wow. And where do these 2,000 toys come from? We have two main toy drive donors that have been doing these um, drives independently for the Las Vegas Rescue Mission for a good number of years now. One of those drives was held just this weekend at Silverton. That's Mongo's Hood Kiki Toy Drive. And um, we managed to get about 1,600 toys from that one event. And then um, we have Pearly Claws, who holds her drive down at Optic Gallery in Arroyo Crossing. And she is probably going to be looking at hopefully getting the same number of toys donated. So those are our two main toy donors. The rest of it will be coming from the public. And we also have lots of businesses, churches in the Vegas area that are holding independent drives as well. So we'll be either picking those toys up or they'll be dropping them off to us. We have a, a warehouse on property where we've had some volunteers in today helping us sort all the toys that we got from Saturday. So they're all being designated out by age and gender. So that's something that volunteers will be doing for us this weekend next week too. Okay, so how can listeners donate toys for the event if they want to? They can drop the toys at our location, which is 480 West Bonanza Road. That's in 89106 zip code. Um, they can come to the front gate, let the person know that they're looking to make a toy donation, and they'll be directed to where, where they can drop those off for us. Okay. And what if someone listening knows a child who is in need and would like to get a toy? What are the details of the holiday toy giveaway event, the date, the time? We already know it's Cashman Field, but you know, all the particulars. Sure. <laughs> okay. So it's going to be on December the 17th 
and the uh, event starts at 9 a.m. and runs until noon. We say it's first come, first served, and there's no sign up. All information about the parking and uh, the event space is on our website, which is vegasrescue.org forward slash toys. Um, and even on our homepage, um, one of the banners will direct um, someone looking to that web page as well. But um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. We want to make it as easy as possible. Obviously, there, there might be lines, people waiting in line in the beginning, but we we want to be able to eliminate the need to sign up, the need to show proof of birth certificates and all of that. So we want to make it as easy as possible for someone to come along with their child and get a toy. But again, the child has to be present. Right. Yeah. Now you've mentioned volunteers a few times. Are you still looking for volunteers to help out at the event? We have plenty of volunteers actually signed up for that event right now. A large number of those coming and helping will be from um, Mongo's Hood from doing that toy drive that um, happened just last weekend. Okay. And do you have other opportunities for volunteers in general? Yes, absolutely. We we have a, a rush of volunteers over the Thanksgiving, and then we go into a very quiet period of having volunteers sign up. So leading up to Christmas, over Christmas, but absolutely in the new year, we struggle to find enough volunteers. And the, the main point that we, we, or the main place we need volunteers is for our community meal that is served from 5 to 6 p.m. We need about 15 volunteers a night to help us serve that meal efficiently. And some days we don't have any volunteers signed up. Um, some days we might just have five. So we have a website the website to sign up for volunteering is lvrescuemission.volunteerhub.com and there's a calendar that anyone can view and, and see where shifts are open and they can create an account and sign up for a shift. Okay. And what if listeners want to make a monetary donation to help out the rescue mission? If they're looking to make a monetary donation to the mission as a whole, they can go to our website, which is vegasrescue.org. And on our homepage, on the top right-hand side, there are options to donate or even set up a recurring donation if they wish to do that. Um, if they want to donate to the holiday drive, there is um, on the web page for the toy giveaway information, there's a link on, on there as well. Any money that we have coming to that, we're going to be putting to the side to help with children's needs throughout the year. So if that's buying diapers or um, formula or anything like that, we just want to make sure that we have funding put to the side to be able to help with that. So if someone wants to specify that they want to help with, with the Christmas needs, which roll over for children's needs into next year, then they can donate there. Fantastic. Okay. So once again, the website is VegasRescue.org. If you want to find out more about what the Las Vegas Rescue Mission does, or if you want to make a monetary donation. Now, if you're specifically interested in the holiday toy giveaway event, it's VegasRescue.org slash toys. And you can also make monetary donations there as well that will help children throughout the year. And finally, if you would like to volunteer helping to serve meals to the homeless. The Las Vegas Rescue Mission volunteer sign-up website is lvrescuemission.volunteerhub.com, lvrescuemission.volunteerhub.com. And again, the main website is vegasrescue.org. 
Now, I'm going to give once again the details for the Holiday Toy Giveaway event. It's happening on Saturday, December 17th from 9 a.m. to noon at Cashman Field. This is the 13th annual Holiday Toy Giveaway event. The child must be present to get a present (laughs) at the 13th annual Holiday Toy Giveaway. And again, the Saturday, December 17th from 9 a.m. to noon. And Heather, did I miss anything that you would like to say to listeners or anything in addition that you think they should know? One other thing to add, the weather is starting to get a little colder. So if toys are not something that anyone's able to donate, we are accepting donations of blankets and winter coats. That's something we're going to be very much in need of over the next couple of months. So if anyone wants to drop blankets or winter coats down to us, we would be be forever grateful for that donation too. Awesome. And once again, the address for that is 480 West Bonanza Road. Yes. All right. Awesome. So once again, the main website, VegasRescue.org. And Heather, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know about all the things you're doing to make the community a better place. It sounds like you've got so many things going on and you're helping so many people. So first of all, thank you for doing that. And second of all, thank you for being here to let everyone know about it and how they can help out as well. I I appreciate the time and we look forward to seeing uh, families and children down at the event on the 17th. Before I was adopted, I felt like, felt like my life was already over. My biggest fear was that I would age out and not know how to be sufficient on my own. At a certain age, like, they don't want you, you're troubled and stuff. The clock is ticking for the more than 125,000 kids waiting to be adopted from foster care. Help the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption prevent them from aging out without a permanent family. Learn more at DaveThomasFoundation.org. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today, I'm speaking with David Kiva, president of EDF Action, the advocacy partner of the Environmental Defense Fund. David brings nearly 20 years of experience to his role and spent the majority of his career focused on running political and advocacy campaigns. Prior to joining EDF Action, he played a central role in helping elect President Joe Biden. David, thank you so much for being here today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me, Heather. So listeners are probably familiar with the Environmental Defense Fund, but what exactly is EDF Action? EDF Action is, just as the name suggests, the advocacy partner of the Environmental Defense Fund. So we focus in on a couple of things. We do advocacy, which means lobbying or advocating in Congress or in state houses for our policy priorities and raising awareness amongst the general public about why they're important. And we also engaged in some campaign work. EDF Action was very active in the 2022 midterm elections, particularly in Nevada, where we uh, were proud to support Congresswoman Susie Lee, Congressman Steve Horsford, who was just elected after he was reelected by the people of, of Nevada's 4th District to serve as the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus for the first time ever, and Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. And why is it that you support those politicians in particular? Well, it's not just because we like them. It's because they've been (laughs) terrific on our issues, especially support for the environment, support for taking meaningful action to address climate change, but doing it in a way that's going to create good paying jobs and clean energy at the same time. Okay, so it sounds like Nevada voted correctly if we're looking at it from an environmental standpoint. 
But what about the rest of the country? How do we compare to what happened during the midterm elections across the nation? I think in Nevada, we did really, really well. Across the nation, we did pretty well. I was pleased, EDF Action was pleased, that almost all of the candidates that we chose to support, the overwhelming majority of whom were incumbents, meaning they were up for re-election, won and fared a lot better than, than we had thought. You know, historically, when there's a new president, his party loses a lot of seats in their first, their first time on the ballot, the first midterm election. That didn't happen so much this election cycle. And one of the key reasons why that was the case, in, in my view, was the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which took really significant, meaningful action to address the climate crisis. Okay. Now, since they were mostly incumbents, that means they've already been doing their job for several years now. How do you think that the report card, so to speak, on environmental issues has been handled in the past few years? And what kind of changes would you like to see going forward? That's a great question. I don't want to be too rosy, but the past couple of years have seen more progress on taking meaningful legislative action to address the climate crisis and environmental concerns than anything we've ever seen before in the history of the country. So my grade for progress legislatively on climate would be an A, A plus, particularly if you're grading on a curve versus anything that we've ever done before. There were two huge components to that. The first was the Inflation Reduction Act, which I've already mentioned, but I haven't talked about in any substance or, or depth. The best estimates out there are that the Inflation Reduction Act will get us to at, at least 40% emission reduction by the year 2030. That's only eight years from now, seven years, because I guess we're almost at the very end of, of 2022. Mm -hmm. um, that's making huge strides on climate just over a very short window and putting us our, our national goal of 50% emission reduction by, uh, by 2030 well within reach. As the title of the bill suggests, that bill will also reduce inflation by addressing one of the key drivers of high costs for Nevadans and Americans all across this country, their energy costs. We talk a lot about electric vehicles because it's easy for people to understand and it's easy for me to understand. Energy, how we power our homes and offices, is a little bit more complicated, right? Because you don't necessarily know what goes on behind the switch. But the best study, the best estimates are that the Inflation Reduction Act by 2030 is going to reduce the annual cost of energy for the average American family by over $500. That's really significant savings. When you combine that with making it cheaper and easier to get Americans into electric vehicles, where we believe the best way to relieve pain at the pump is to not have to go to the pump anymore, mm -hmm. we're going to see an economy that runs a lot cleaner, but that also performs a lot better in terms of protecting Americans' pocketbooks. So that's a huge, huge piece of progress, but it also will be accelerated by the earlier action that Congress took and sent to the president to sign the bipartisan infrastructure law, which won't move emissions reduction, the root cause of climate, the climate crisis, as fast or as aggressively as the Inflation Reduction Act is expected to, but made really significant investments, not just in roads and bridges, but also in our power grid and how we make sure that we keep the lights on because we all know that roads and bridges are critically important, but that's not all that, that 
fits under the definition of infrastructure in, in this modern day and age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the cool thing about Nevada is it's the perfect place to have solar panels because we've got sunshine like over 300 days a year. And, you know, a lot of people are moving that way and adding solar panels and getting into the solar energy game. But when you're talking about lower energy costs for homeowners, is that if they stick with status quo and they stick with NV Energy in this case, or is that because there's going to be incentives for them to switch to solar? That's a great question. There are both incentives for individual consumers to switch to solar, but a lot of the incentives are going to be at the utility level. So the Inflation Reduction Act makes significant tax benefits to utilities like NV Energy if they switch to renewable energy as, as a bigger component of the baseload energy that they are, are providing to consumers. So a lot of Nevada ratepayers won't have to do anything in order to recognize some of that $500 annual cost savings over the next seven, eight years. I've heard from some on the more conservative end of the spectrum that Government action is all well and good, but we need the private sector to act as well. It's been a surprise to some of the folks I've talked to that I wholeheartedly agree with them. And one of the reasons why we are so optimistic about the opportunities for progress before us, fueled by both the Inflation Reduction Act and that bipartisan infrastructure law, are because the companies that are going to be impacted by it both the big three automakers and the United Auto Workers, the union that represents the majority of, of um, auto workers in, in this country, and the utilities, the trade associations that represent them say, hey, if we're talking about meeting these climate targets, these tax credits are a good way to do it. And with these types of policy supports, we absolutely think that we can move there faster and more effectively, saving consumers money in the process. Nice. Okay. Now, you mentioned electric vehicles, reducing the pain at the pump. And that's another cool thing about especially Las Vegas. It's the perfect place to own an electric vehicle because it's a relatively small area. You can go for days without having to recharge because no one no one travels more than a couple hundred miles in a week, usually even, but definitely not per day unless driving is the full time thing. But more and more. People in Nevada and in Las Vegas are moving to electric vehicles. A lot of us already have electric vehicles, but the concern keeps coming up. Well, what about if I can't charge it? What about if I run out of charge? At least if I have a gas car, at least I know I can just go fill it up if I have to. And people are still concerned about that. So what do you see as the future of electric vehicles and the EV charging network that goes with it? The future of electric vehicles and the, the future of the EV charging network are both incredibly bright. First of all, they're driven by consumer demand. Uh, as Americans learn more and more about the choices before them uh, about whether or not to choose to drive an electric vehicle, a plug-in hybrid, or a vehicle powered by an internal combustion engine, those choices become really clear because electric vehicles perform better than their traditional alternatives. They're cheaper to maintain, they're cheaper to operate, and they work better. This is one of those key places where, while a lot of the legwork to reduce emissions is done by the Inflation Reduction Act, it's really going to be coupled and, and served by its work in tandem with the bipartisan infrastructure law. 
Specifically, there's $7.5 billion in the bipartisan infrastructure law that the government's working to get out to states to build out a network of charging stations all across the country. An interesting component of folks who are really excited about this transition include convenience store owners, gas station operators, because they recognize that rather than having their line of business go away, they have a better opportunity because if you've got to go to what used to be a gas station to plug in your electric vehicle and, and get a fast charge there, paying a little bit of money for it, you might be there for 15 minutes instead of three minutes. And if you wander inside, as you're likely to do, if you have a short attention span like I do, mm-hmm. you're more likely to buy some Gatorade, buy a candy bar, maybe buy a lottery ticket if that's your thing. You've got what marketers like to call a captive audience. And convenience store owners recognize, hey, this is a great thing. We're going to want those uh, high-powered electric vehicle chargers here because we're going to want the customers that come with it. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, you mentioned clean energy jobs near the beginning. What efforts are underway to create thriving communities with good-paying jobs, especially clean energy jobs? That's an excellent question. It's an effort that's been underway for a very long time and where Nevada has led the way for the nation in creating good-paying clean energy jobs. You mentioned in your generous introduction of me that I used to work for President Biden both on his campaign and in his administration. I spent a lot of time in Nevada with him, and I remember his going down to Boulder City along with members of IBEW take a tour of one of the giant solar facilities there. His view of the clean energy transition has always been through the lens of how can we provide good paying jobs in clean energy with the opportunity to join a union. That's a view that I personally share and and espouse. And I've met with unionized workers all across this country and seen the pride on their faces in the work that they do. I worked especially closely with the IBEW, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, by definition. Everyone in that union is in energy, is an energy worker. Mm. It's still a small sliver of their overall unionized members represented who are in clean energy. But that's a union that's been really supportive of the president's plans and of the Inflation Reduction Act because they recognize that the future of energy work is in clean energy and they want those jobs to have a, have a union and pay a good family supporting wage along with the opportunity to collectively bargain. So uh, the effort to create good-paying jobs in clean energy has been underfoot for a very long time. President Biden's worked closely in partnership, not just with groups like EDF and EDF Action, but across the spectrum with labor unions, including labor unions that historically have represented far more workers in traditional energy than in clean energy. And uh, the progress that we've been able to make has been powered by the fact that the American people understand the jobs of the future are in clean energy, and they want them here in the United States. Perfect. Okay. So how do listeners find out more about EDF action and some of the initiatives that you have underway? That's a a great question, and I appreciate the softball there, Heather. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can go to edfaction.com dot org edfaction.org to learn more about what we're doing uh we are again the advocacy partner of the environmental defense fund to learn more about the work that the environmental defense fund is going they can simply go to edf.org 
Okay, nice. So edfaction.org is the website for EDF Action. That's the advocacy partner for the Environmental Defense Fund. And if you want to find out more about the Environmental Defense Fund in general, edf.org. So edfaction.org and edf.org. And David, I want to thank you so much for being here and talking with us about the various issues. And sounds like we're on the right path towards a brighter future. So I appreciate your time being here and talking through it with us. Oh, we, we couldn't be more excited. And I appreciate your taking the time this morning to chat with me. Thank you, Heather. All right. Thanks, David. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you as a police officer, we're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere. So the police should be reaching out to this community. And this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm Heather Vale. Today I'm speaking with Aaron Nearbon, founder and executive director of Cops Direct. Cops Direct is a nonprofit organization that supports law enforcement in saving lives during emergency situations. Aaron, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Heather, thanks for having us. So, what exactly does Cops Direct do? Cops Direct is the only nonprofit organization in the nation that supplies our law enforcement with any critically needed trauma care equipment or training that they can't access through their own department. And our main focus is enabling law enforcement to save lives when lives are in the balance and seconds count. Is it individual police officers who would reach out to you or departments on a whole? What Cops Direct does is we focus more on the larger department because we know, Heather, that the average EMS response time across the nation can be in excess of 15 minutes. And when there is a department and the officers within it that have to respond to a call at a moment's notice, whether it's a mass shooting, I mean, we can think about what happened in 2017 at Mandalay or, you know, a, a bad traffic accident or a school shooting or an officer who is shot. We want to make sure they've got the equipment that they need to save lives in that moment when they're the only people there that could potentially render aid. What types of equipment are we talking about? Well, everything that Cops Direct supplies is requested specifically from departments. So no two requests are exactly the same. But primarily what we're focusing on are the items that are needed in that immediate moment in a traumatic situation. Tourniquets, chest seals to cover up gunshot wounds. It can be stretchers or search and rescue equipment to help get injured people out of a bad situation. Sometimes, Heather, it's not necessarily a shooting or something like that. It could be something where a search and rescue team that's part of a police department has to go out into the wilderness, into the desert, and try and find someone, and they need the equipment to locate them and get them back out of harm's way. It's all those things that law enforcement does that we realize that they need to do that sometimes they're just not equipped to actually affect when moments matter. And that's what Cops Direct is all about, is making sure that they have the ability to save lives in those critical moments. 
So some of the examples sound like the cops wouldn't know that they needed that specialized equipment until the emergency happens. So is this something that's happening spur exactly. of the moment? Hey, emergency cops direct, can you help us out? Or is this something that they anticipate? It's always going to be anticipated because, or, or reactive because in the, in the moment where a officers responding to a call, they need to have with them at that time what they need. Yeah. So a lot of departments are saying, hey, we know that we need these things, but we don't have the funding or we don't have the local support from government to go out there and get these things. So we're going to go out there and get it and make sure that we've got it. Or if something bad happened and we realize that we are under-equipped, so now we want to make sure that this doesn't happen again, that we can better serve the citizenry that we, you know, that we work for. And in either situation, they're contacting us saying, help us as a law enforcement agency be better by equipping us with what we need to save lives and really make sure that, you know, the people that we're out there for are protected as best as possible. Okay. What made you decide to start Cops Direct in the first place? Well, we have another organization, Troops Direct, that supports our service members around the globe. And what we found from there was that a lot of law enforcement agencies, stateside, had the same needs primarily on the medical side for items that they just simply couldn't access. And so it was the inspiration from supporting the troops that we found that supporting law enforcement here was just as important. So in 2016, we decided to form a partner organization, Cops Direct here, that is focused exclusively on making sure that law enforcement has what they need for helping out our citizens and themselves. Nice. Okay. Why is it that police officers are increasingly becoming the first responders? Well, more and more nowadays, I think we can all agree, bad things are happening uh, without any warning. And, you know, you can look at the mass shooting that are out there on a constant basis now, unfortunately. You can look at the overarching war on cops where it's a badge of honor to go out there in many respects and, you know, assault law enforcement. You can look at the rioting that goes on. And whatever it might be, it's a new generation of, of policing and law enforcement where it's not just writing tickets and handcuffs and having a gun on your side. It's realizing that with the strain that is found on municipalities as a whole, fire, EMS, and law enforcement, the cops are now looked to to render aid in those moments where there may not be a paramedic around or it's not safe, Heather, for a paramedic to go into a situation because there could still be an active shooter, you think about in a school or something like that, and it's the cop's job to go out there and perform more tasks than what they've just consistently had to do in the past. Yeah, okay. So if listeners are interested in finding out more about what Cops Direct does, or even maybe get involved somehow in helping you with your mission, where would they go? We'd love everybody to be involved. The best place to start is by going to copsdirect.org. There you can see the impact that we have had around the nation in over 35 states. And also, you can see there samples of some of the recent requests because we're all about transparency. And visitors to the website can see some of the recent requests and what we're putting out there. And there they can make a tax-deductible donation. We ask everybody to become a monthly supporter. We can go out there and fulfill those requests of those law enforcement officers that say goodbye to their families and their kids every day 
before they go out on a shift where they don't know what the next call is going to be. Do you have a favorite success story of something that happened recently where because of the equipment and training that Cops Direct supplied that there was a happy ending to the story? You know, there's a bunch of those stories, Heather, but two that come to mind very briefly. One was where there was actually a missing person. And prior to that missing person bulletin going out just days before, we had supplied a department with some rescue stretchers that they had uh, requested of us. And they used those stretchers to find an individual that was out in the wilderness and had a, a medical episode. And they used our equipment to, to bring them out. Another one uh, recently was there was a, a major mass shooting, active shooter incident, and a police department that we had outfitted with equipment for every officer and every patrol car used that equipment to render aid to some of the individuals that were wounded in that event. And they all got back to us and told us about how our support enabled them to save lives in those two specific circumstances. But those are two of countless stories that we've received through the years. That's amazing. Okay, so once again, copsdirect.org is the website to go to, copsdirect.org. You can find out more information about Cops Direct. You can get involved. You can donate there. So copsdirect.org. And Aaron, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know what you're doing and the problems that you're solving and for being out there and helping our law enforcement. So thank you very much. Great. Thanks for your time today, Heather. My name is Juanita Segura. I've been living with non-small cell lung cancer for about eight years now. Biomarker testing was a turning point for me. Visit noonemissed.org for more. A public service message from Longevity Foundation. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Keith Laro, oncologist at the Wilson Regional Medical Center and lung cancer patient advocate, Dina Kamal. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Laro, what's the new side effect treatment that you have for small cell lung cancer patients? So a lot of us have known people who have gone through chemotherapy for lung cancer, and we know the side effects, nausea, vomiting, hair loss, fatigue, low blood counts. Well, research has produced a new treatment which protects the good cells while allowing the chemotherapy to attack the bad cells thus reducing the side effects of uh, chemotherapy treatment in patients with small cell lung cancer. What exactly is small cell lung cancer as opposed to other types of lung cancer? Lung cancers are grouped into different varieties, small cell, non-small cell, which breaks down into adenocarcinoma, squamous carcinoma, large cell, and other forms. And uh, small cell is a subtype, it's generally more aggressive and it has different treatments and the, the treat, still the standard treatments are focused on the old fashioned chemotherapy. Okay, and this side effect treatment is tailored specifically to treat side effects of small cell lung cancer rather than other types of lung cancer? That's a really good question. The drug was approved by the FDA in small cell lung cancer patients based on research. And we know that it works to prevent side effects of chemotherapy in small cell lung cancer patients. But this class of drugs is currently being investigated in other forms of cancer, such as breast cancer and other common forms of cancer. And hopefully we'll have some other breakthroughs and other cancer types. Awesome. Okay. 
Now, Dina, you are a small cell lung cancer patient. Could you share your story with us? Yes. When I was 59 years old, I was having problems breathing. And I decided to go to the doctor. And when I went to the doctor, he said that he was concerned, too, because I was having episodes of bronchitis. So he gave me a special test. And when I took the test, he called me. And when he called me, he said he wanted to speak with me, and it was urgent. So I went in his office. He said, but I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off. Mm. He said, you have cancer. And all I could do was fall out of my chair and just cry and cry and cry. But he introduced me to a good doctor, a doctor that's understanding, and his name is Dr. Keith Lero. And I'm here, and that's the reason why I'm here today, because of God and Dr. Lero. <laughs> My you know, what side effects did you have from your chemo treatment? Well, the first time I, the first round um, I had was uh, fatigue, much, much fatigue. I couldn't go to the store. I couldn't do anything. Um, I couldn't clean my house. Um, I had hair loss. I had a lot, a lot, lots of dehydration. But the one that that come out now, the new drug that has come out now because of research, has given me hope. Has given me strength to fight because the new drug that they have now has limited some of that fatigue. A lot of that where I couldn't get up, I can get up now and I can clean my house and do things. And the reason why they have come out with this new drug is because of um, research and because of things that researchers have come up with. And, and the only way that we can get that done is through help and support through lcsamerica.org. Dr. Lero, what difference did you see in Dina's specific case when you administered the new drug? So Dina, you know, the, the first time she had treatment was 2018, and that was before this new agent was approved and available. And she, as she said, had a lot of the traditional side effects because she got the good chemotherapy drugs, the best chemotherapy drugs, but these chemotherapy drugs don't differentiate very well between the bad cancer cells and the good cells, such as the hair follicle cells, the stomach lining cells, the blood cells. So she had all those side effects. And when Dina subsequently went through treatment again, was after the approval of the new drug, which is administered before chemotherapy, and it protects the good cells thereby minimizing the side effects, allowing the chemotherapy to selectively attack the bad cells, the cancer cells, and she did very well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Dina, you did mention the website, but Dr. Lara, could you just give us a rundown on where listeners can go for more information about this new treatment and other information that they might be looking for around lung cancer in general? Yeah, so, so certainly the um, Lung Cancer Foundation of America, lcfamerica.org is a good site. But really, for anyone who's going through a cancer journey, the best way is to discuss with their healthcare professional, specifically the person responsible for their chemotherapeutic regimen, which is usually a, a cancer specialist, a, a medical oncologist, but you know, ask them about these new approaches to reduce the side effects of chemotherapy, they, they will be your best resource. 
Okay. So once again, lcfamerica.org is the website for the Lung Cancer Foundation of America, lcfamerica.org. But also if you or a loved one is dealing with lung cancer, specifically small cell lung cancer, talk to your oncologist and you might be able to try this new treatment as well. Dr. Laro and Dina, I want to thank you both for being here and letting the listeners know about these breakthroughs, which are incredible. And Dina, I'm so glad you're doing better now. And thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, too. (laughs) The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me today is Sarah Chavaria, president of the Delta Dental Insurance Company. Delta Dental provides dental benefits to more than 40 million people, and they recently conducted a senior oral health report on older Americans' oral health regrets, barriers, and impact. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So what did your research find out about how older Americans view their oral health? So let's start with our mouths as a gateway to our bodies and the diseases that start in our teeth and our gums. They can have profound and significant impacts on our overall health, our social well-being, and our quality of life. So we surveyed Americans 50 and over across the U.S., and what we found is that 72% wish They had taken better care of their teeth in youth, yet many still aren't doing so. In fact, 80% are not going to the dentist as often as recommended, which is twice a year for a checkup, cleaning, and this lack of attention to that oral health, it comes with those regrets later in life. So that oral health and that overall health, very, very tightly linked. And as we get older, we're more prone to things like dry mouth, tooth decay, and gum disease. Why is oral health so closely related to overall health and why does it impact it so drastically? So if you think about going to your primary care physician once a year and people going to their dentist twice a year, there can be early indications. So gum disease can be an indication of heart disease or of other things going on in your overall health. And your overall, you know, kind of checkup at the dentist, that dentist is going to be able to maybe even see some precancerous indications and things like that. So we should think about it as a preventative checkup to get early, early indications of what could potentially be wrong in our overall health. Okay, so I've got kind of a chicken and egg scenario question, but I'm not clear whether the oral health issues are the cause of deeper overall health issues or if they're just the symptom kind of giving us an indicator of what might be wrong on a deeper level. Yeah, they are definitely an indication, right? So if you go in for that cleaning, you're always going to get that checkup from that dentist and he or she 
is going to be able to see an indication, right? Something that is displaying in your gums, something that's displaying in the state of your oral health, that is going to be this looking glass, if you will, into your overall health. So definitely think about it as an indication and it's showing in your oral health. Okay, so not brushing our teeth often enough or not going to the dentist often enough is not going to cause further health issues necessarily, but it will remove our ability to see those indicators. Absolutely. And oral health doesn't only impact our overall health. It also it, it's how we view connecting with others and, you know, really what could get in the way of that. Our findings showed that poor oral health, it has an impact on emotional and mental health for older Americans as well. People worrying about how others perceive them based on our smile, smiling less because of worsening oral health as we age. And seniors shared that the way they feel about their teeth, it affects their quality of life. As a matter of fact, in our study, we learned that two in five seniors say that they smile less than when they were younger due to that declining oral health and the appearance of their teeth. And 30% feel that they're missing out on connecting with people because they're embarrassed to smile or they're embarrassed to laugh. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something interesting. Why is it that people say they want to prioritize their oral health? And they even say they have regrets about not prioritizing their oral health, and yet they continue not to prioritize their oral health. That's a really great question. And our report identified that there are really three main barriers to what you're asking. And one of them is just a real basic lack of understanding of that connection between oral health and your overall health, which you and I've spent a couple of minutes talking about. And you know, there was a fun fact identified in the survey, which is that 80% of us, 50 and older, didn't know that the bacteria that causes gingivitis is spreadable through kissing and through saliva. So fun fact there. The second barrier is access to care. So if we think about the time it takes, people's mobility, and just the, you know, the availability to get to that care, that can be a real barrier. And if we think about our Black and African cultures, and we think about our Latino and our Hispanic communities, the gap for some of these things even widens. And then the final barrier is really those negative emotions that people associate with going to the dentist. Maybe the last time they went or the story a friend told about the last time they went has them a little fearful about going to the dentist. And so it's really about overcoming those three main barriers and really understanding that getting to that dentist twice a year is part of our overall well-being by making sure we're getting those checkups. Okay. Now you mentioned that certain communities are affected even more when it comes to access to care. Which communities do face the biggest barriers to oral health? In our report, what we saw was that the African and Black Americans and Latino and Hispanic communities, that's where we see those gaps really widen. And I know that um, in healthcare overall, we're all paying a lot of attention to find ways to close those gaps and to really create avenues for that access to care. 
Is it mainly a financial thing, not being able to afford the care, or is it that dentists and other healthcare providers are not in those communities as much? I think it's really tied back to the three barriers we just talked about. I mean, I think if we look at those communities, there may be providers in those communities, and we certainly have a lot of avenues to access to care, not only through dental insurance providers like ourselves, Delta Dental, but also through community partners that bring that access to care to a lot of these communities. So I think it's back to just helping those communities understand that connection between oral health and overall health, and maybe finding ways to help them get that access to care, right? Either transportation, bringing information to where those places are, where they can get that access, whether it's through a community partner or a provider themselves. And then maybe just bringing some better connections into the community to talk about the positive experiences people have going to the dentist as a preventative way to really, you know, make sure that they're not suffering something more painful later or something more serious later. Okay. So besides visiting the dentist twice a year, as you've mentioned a couple of times, what other tips do you have for people to improve their oral health? So we subscribe to the 212. So brush twice daily, very important. Floss once a day. I know folks don't like to do that, but it's really important. I've talked a lot about going to the dentist twice. So that's the 212. And then there are a lot of things that we can do just at home. Drink a lot of water. If you can drink water with fluoride, that's great. Eat healthy foods like fruits and vegetables. Get some exercise. That's great for your overall well-being. A little bit of mobility in there. And if you've got a partial or a denture, make sure you're taking those out and cleaning them and giving your mouth a break. Okay. So where can listeners go to find out more about improving their oral health or find out more about Delta Dental? Please go to ddins.co forward slash healthy aging. That site has a variety of health and wellness resources, insights on your healthy aging journey, and affordable options for individual dental plans. We want to make sure that everyone is smiling. Okay. So once again, ddins.co slash healthy aging, ddins.co slash healthy aging. That'll give you more information about improving your oral health, for seniors, for aging, but everyone in general can benefit, of course, from implementing healthy oral hygiene now instead of later because you want to prevent issues the sooner the better with something like dental health. So ddins.co slash healthy aging. But again, it's never too late to take better care of our oral health and in turn take better care of our overall health. So, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for being here today, letting everyone know, first of all, what your survey found out, the things that people regret, the things that we can make changes about, and why it's so important. So, I appreciate you being here and sharing with us. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Dad, I picked up your pills, made your lunch, and your laundry is done. When you care for a loved one, you take care of everything. 
But are you taking care of yourself? Find free care guides at aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is celebrating nine years of bringing you a bi-monthly musical fundraising party. The ninth anniversary extravaganza is happening this Monday, December 12th at 8 p.m. at the Palms with doors at 7 p.m. Get tickets or find out all the details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. Opportunity Village is holding their annual Magical Forest events through December 31st at the Magical Forest on the Opportunity Village campus, 6300 West Oakey. Get your tickets and find out all the event times and dates at opportunityvillage.org. That's opportunityvillage.org. The Candy Cane House holiday-themed walkthrough event is back for the third year. The private residence owned by Victor's Cardenas and Joey Cardona houses a free holiday experience with donations strongly encouraged to benefit HopeLink of Southern Nevada and their mission to prevent homelessness, preserve families, and provide hope. Candy Cane House tours are happening Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays between 6 and 9 p.m. until Christmas at 366 South Milan Street in Henderson. That's 366 South Milan Street in Henderson. And Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada's holding their second annual Trailblaze Challenge presented by Subaru of Las Vegas from February 3rd to 5th, 2023, with a 12-week training happening now. This is a 26.2-mile hike through the Valley of Fire backcountry in Mesquite with the goal of raising $300,000 to grant wishes for children with critical illnesses in Southern Nevada. Sign up or find out more information at wish.org slash snv slash trailblaze. That's wish.org slash snv slash trailblaze. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.